Welcome to the Digital Investors Podcast with Matt and Liz Rad, where we explore how you can invest in the new digital economy with expert interviews, proven strategies, and stories of success. Get inspired to grow your portfolio for the future. G'day everyone, it's Matt Rad here, CEO and co-founder of eBusiness Institute, where we teach beginners how to buy and sell businesses, uh, online businesses. And today I'm really excited because we're doing a follow-up interview with the CEO and co-founder of FE International, Thomas Smale, who we've known for many years. And Thomas started online around the same time that Liz and I did, buying and selling businesses. But what's fascinating about Thomas's journey, if you don't know FE International, they are now one of the world's leading M&A firms for large online business deals. So eight figures, seven figures in the tens of millions. Um, So much so that they have been uh, recognized as one of America's fastest growing companies for the last three years running by the Financial Times. Plus, there are four times Inc. 5000 companies They're headquartered in New York. They have over 50 staff doing M&A deals on helping clients buy and sell websites, online businesses. And they're really well known for, as I said, for doing these eight-figure deals, particularly with SaaS and e-commerce and content sites. So, of course, we're really excited to have Thomas along today to give some insights into what's happening in the marketplace. And this is like a follow-on from our last interview because we caught up with Thomas about six months ago and and the world's changed a little bit especially the economy out there, but we want to hear it from the coal face of these high-end deals and who better to speak to than Thomas Smale, CEO of FE International. Thanks, Thomas, for coming along. Hey, Matt. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, uh, get an update with you with what, what you're seeing out there because, like, like I said, you're at that, that coal face of website sales and I guess in a way, you're seeing firsthand what's happening with the economy in terms of the high-end investors. So I know there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of talk about recession, and we can see it in the share market, which is typically a, a leading indicator of the economy. So from your end, and, and since we last spoke in our last interview, have you seen much change in terms of the volume of deals you're doing or the price of the websites that you're selling? Yeah, so it's been quite interesting because I think a lot of people – look at the stock market and they say, oh, the stock market is down. The industry must be down as well. But I think the reality is the online businesses are still relatively undiscovered. So valuations are still way below the the public markets. So I think at a high level, there hasn't really been any slowdown. And I think my main belief as to why that's happening is just the fact that it's still undervalued versus some other asset, asset classes. Um, The other thing to consider when it comes to acquiring businesses, you generally have three main groups. You have individuals, and an individual might be you and I, or yourself and Liz, or whoever it might be, either an individual partnership, husband and wife team, father, son, wife, daughter, whatever it might be. Uh, Generally, they're using their own capital to buy um, a a business. They might be taking out a a government-backed loan, or they might be buying cash. Um, it might be to quit their job. It might be to supplement their income. So buyers at that level are generally acquiring businesses below $5 million in valuation. Uh, you, the second group you then have are strategic buyers. Um, strategic buyers, for, I guess, in this example are 
companies who are already operating and profitable and want to buy a competitor, want to buy a synergistic business to help grow their grow their main business. Strategic buyers operate at any level. They'll buy a business for a dollar, they'll buy a business for $10 billion. So they're everywhere. And then the final group, which is probably the ones that we do the most deal deals with are private equity firms or investment groups. And then the way they generally raise money is two ways. Either they go to a group of investors and they get, say, I don't know, 100 investors who invest $500,000 each and they have a $50 million fund. Some of them will just invest out of that fund. Others will raise debt to make acquisitions. So it might be they have $50 million from investors uh, and then they have a bank who's willing to lend them $50 million as well. So they have $100 million. Um, Of those three groups, the only real slowdown we've seen in the last six months, like deal volume is still very consistent, but the, the group that has dropped off a little bit or slowed down a little bit are the private equity funds that were relying on debt. So they were taking advantage of historically low interest rates, primarily in the US, where debt was very cheap. So it made sense if you had a fund to use bank funding to get your deals done. Um, More deals now are happening to funds who just entirely rely on equity. So investor capital, those funds are still buying at exactly the same rate they ever were before. Valuations have not really changed at all. Um, we've actually, even in the like last couple of weeks, we've actually seen some um, record deals where businesses have gone right, sold quite a lot higher than our original valuation. And our valuations yeah. are usually like we're known for being very accurate. Um, so businesses selling well above valuation is obviously a great result, but it's also reasonably uncommon. So I think it's a sign that the market hasn't really slowed down. Like good businesses will always sell. There's, I, th- I don't think there's any economic cycle where people are not going to be buying good businesses and people who invest for a living, which I guess is our entire buyer demographic, yeah. they're always investing. You don't suddenly stop investing yeah. because the market slowed down. You have to be investing in something. And I think this is still a very... Compared to other asset classes you could be investing in, I think it's still undervalued. You're buying a profitable business. I don't really think you can go wrong compared to some other asset classes, which may well have been overvalued. And I guess in a recession too, like, and it's a, following on from that too, the advantage of the recession, because you and I, you know, we started online in, in the last recession, the GFC in 2008, as we saw websites are very high cash flow and cash flow is always king. And if, if you're a full-time investor, which a lot of our audience are, they are regular or, or many of them are ret- approaching retirement and full-time investors. Um, like you said, investing in a recession time is, is still fantastic because you're buying cash flow businesses plus, plus they're, yeah, they're very high cash flow and you can grab yourself some bargains as well. Although from the sounds of it, the bargains aren't starting yet or anything like that. Your valuations are still holding and you're, you're even achieving record um, sales, aren't you? From a sell side, yeah. I guess as an M&A firm, like we represent the seller. So our job is to get the best price possible. You're probably never going to get the best deals as a buyer through an M&A firm. I guess there's a trade-off <laughs> yeah. with yep. certainty of process, certainty of buying a legitimate well but somewhat certainty of buying a legitimate business working with a seller who's actually motivated 
that's really what you gain by working with an M&A firm and like a kind of clean process. Buying privately has its pros and cons as, as well. But I think what people have seen slow down, and this is where maybe there's a bit of a misconception, is private equity that slowed down is not companies yeah. being acquired outright. Um, it's venture capital into businesses that were not profitable um, and were uh, maybe yeah. they're investing in really speculative valuations yeah. at FE since day one. So when we were founded in 2010, we've yep. only ever represented profitable businesses. So yeah. they've always been cash flow positive. Um, we've never represented businesses which are speculative and loss making. So for us, the demographic of clients we've always targeted and acquirers, they've always been buying cash flow positive businesses. We're still selling cash flow positive businesses. If yep. you had a um a venture capital fund where you're investing in fast growth businesses, yes, those valuations have completely changed. But to be honest, it's not really a market I know that much about. And it's not not really yeah. anything I pretend to know about or operate in. And and Thomas, another uh, it's an interesting comment when we we're talking before uh off the camera. Um, you were saying in really in uh, your experience as a broker over the last decade or so, no matter what the economy is doing, the state of the economy doesn't really affect business sales. This is something I've been trying to tell our community as well, because we used to be involved in M&A, admittedly with bricks and mortar businesses, which are a lot harder to sell when a recession hits. But you know, it's something we've observed ourselves over the last 30 years of being in business. It doesn't matter what the economy does go up and down. It doesn't seem to affect business sales, does it? There's always buyers around. And, and you said something interesting to me, which I'd like you to repeat to our guys to hear. Even with small buyers, like say mar and pa buyers, um, you were you you mentioned how what like what you're seeing in America, you know, some people losing jobs, or one of the things they'll do is go and buy a business. Yeah, I think it's interesting because if you think about people who want to buy a business, there's a lot of reasons why people might either make up or they might create um, psychological barriers for themselves. Like, yep. oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never <laughs> run a business before. I don't know how, how to be a CEO. I don't know anything about e-commerce. I'm not a marketer, whatever it might be. Um, and then some people have like actual physical barriers, which might be, um, I don't actually have any money or I don't have enough money to buy the business I want or I have a full-time job. I physically don't have the time to run a business or, or whatever it might be. So what we find when a recession hits and not that unemployment has really increased that much just yet. No. Um, but a, a lot of people, if they lose their job, you might think that's like the worst time to buy a business. But I think reality is for a lot of people that becomes the best time to buy a business because suddenly yep. a lot of the excuses they previously had legitimate or otherwise have suddenly gone away and people then find a way to get things done. Yep. They'll, they'll be way more motivated to buy a business, close the deal, things that previously maybe they didn't have the time before. You can pretty much guarantee if someone's lost their job and they have a mortgage and like kids to pay for, they're going to be working more yep. than they would have been if they had their nice, secure, safe government job or whatever it might have been. Um, yeah, so I think whatever happens in the the market and the macro economy, people people always want the potential freedom of buying and owning their own business. That doesn't really go away, regardless of the 
economic conditions. Yeah. If anything, I don't, I don't have a a huge theory about this. I think if anything, a recession is probably better for buying businesses when things are booming and people have their they work for a startup and they have their stock options. Yeah, stock options are increasing in value on paper every yeah. year. You can invest in the stock market and you're making 20% a year doing nothing. Buying a business, it actually has to be quite a compelling proposition for you to want to buy that business because there's easy money to be made elsewhere. Right now, if you had, particularly in the US, if you had your money in the markets at the beginning of the year, um, which I, I fortunately did not personally, I think you've probably lost like 20% of your money. If you instead you had bought a boring cash flowing business and let's say you paid a, keep it simple, a five times multiple, yep. your, your million dollars, you have a business kicking off 200,000 a year. Or you can put your million dollars in the, the market and you now have 800K. So yeah, I think there's, there's always good opportunities. And I think now is a, if you've been on the fence, now is a really good time to kind of revisit buying a business. I love that analogy. You're right. When it's easy, it's like Warren Buffett says, always invest in um, assets that throw off cash, like businesses. That's why he doesn't invest in gold or whatever. And, and this, that's a great analogy too. You know, you're taking it one step further, comparing it to the share market. If you'd stuck a million dollars in the share market over the long term, it's interesting. Or looking back now and where we're at now, if you put it into a good online business, you're still throwing off your 200k a year cash, and you've got that asset that you can still, as you as we're hearing, guys, like Thomas can still sell it for a million dollars. The the valuations haven't come down, and at this point, and it is good to reiterate to everyone that. It's certainly been our observation as well. No matter what the economy is doing, businesses are always being bought and sold. So the volumes definitely haven't changed, have they, out, out there for, for you guys? And you're We've hiring like, staff too, you were telling me. We're, we're always hiring, always growing. I'd say we've pretty much seen an increase in deal volume or total, total deal value every year since we were first uh, launched. And I don't expect, obviously, we're only halfway through the year. Um, and we're not even halfway through our fiscal year because technically we start beginning of March, but I don't expect to see less volume this year than, than, than last. Okay, awesome. Well, and then, so now changing gears slightly, something I did want to cover because you and I have talked about this privately, um, and this is uh, to do with, I guess, our what we do here at eBusiness Institute and what our main community is interested in. We, we obviously teach people like, say, professional people want to quit their jobs and buy an online business, and particularly our strategy is buying content sites. And we don't do e-commerce because of Liz and my personal background. We, we started out in our business lives with a manufacturing business and wholesale import businesses, and they're, they're really tough. To, that's a bricks and mortar. They're really tough to run as a young entrepreneur. You're always in debt or your net worth's tied up in stock in a warehouse somewhere. So that's what shaped us. But it's interesting uh, talking to you because you do these big seven-figure and eight-figure deals with obviously e-commerce sites. But if you think about our community, Thomas, who are mostly, let's face it, beginners learning how to buy and build websites, um, E-commerce sites, what's your thoughts for a beginner getting into the online space or someone even, you know, like a, an ex-corporate who's got half a mil or a couple of million dollars to spend on a website? What, what's your observation now that you can look back over decades of experience in this space? Yeah, I think 
it can be it can be difficult um what we find a lot of e-commerce deals that we sell sell to funds who might have the operating ability to maybe they have 10 businesses in their portfolio and they can handle the logistics of a supply chain and they also have access to capital if um maybe they need to your point maybe you need to take out a loan um to buy some inventory um so from a cash flow perspective over the long run your total return from an e-commerce business is just as good as any other so for us it's SaaS and content businesses are the other two we primarily work on over the long term your total return from those three business models is going to be very similar but in the short term you can be in a bit of a cash crunch in an e-commerce business because you have to invest in inventory to your point i think a lot of it depends on on skill set but i think yeah anybody assuming you're assuming you're literate anyone can run a content business because content (laughs) content is just content anyone as long as you can read and write you can run a content business Almost yeah. everybody, particularly if you have a professional, like your audience are mostly, I know I've been to your event in person. I've yeah. spoken there. Um, I've met many of your like people who've taken part in your courses. Um, but a lot of them come from a professional background. Yes. So every yes. single person, regardless of your background, has a skill from a content perspective that would be value adding and would be valuable to someone. So maybe yeah. you have an experience in banking. Maybe you have an experience in mining. Maybe it's like some form of finance maybe it's real estate maybe it's manufacturing whatever it might be there's always a content business or multiple content businesses that could be built around that um same with e-commerce i think like most people have a background that means they could produce a physical product that could be sellable to the demographic they know about the challenge with e-commerce is you had way more variables you have to find a supplier you have to deal with like supply chain logistics postage um, so while that creates a bit of a barrier to entry, I think if you're, I think what you would describe as a beginner, someone buying a business for the first time, maybe an e-commerce business is the, not the best kind of business to buy versus a content business, which is significantly more simple to operate. Um, yeah. we find quite often first time buyers do buy e-commerce businesses um, All right. and they really like e-commerce businesses. And the yep. reason they do that is because they love the idea of a physical product. Like yeah. you said to anyone like, Hey, we're selling pens. People would get like, everyone has a pen. So they would get the idea of like, okay, I can buy this pen for 20 cents and sell it for a dollar. That makes sense to everybody. Whereas content is a bit more difficult because you're like, okay, we're going to write about pens and people are going to click on the ads and make money. Um, If a thousand people visit and a hundred people click on the ad and you make, I don't know, a dollar a click, you've made a hundred dollars. That's conceptually a little bit harder for people to, understand um so personally my belief is first time buyers should look at content businesses but i totally get why you might look at e-commerce as well i just think it has more variables in there um that can be a little bit more difficult when you're starting out particularly if you're relying on that business for cash flow it's completely different if you're looking as a long-term investment where you don't mind having cash tied up in inventory but if you are using that to pay your mortgage, it can be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So guys, if you're looking for the quicker cash flow, the content sites, I like what you said. It's an interesting observation from yourself as a you know world-leading broker in you know selling websites. That yeah, I guess conceptually, content sites seem a little bit 
trickier on the surface. And we, Liz and I have noticed this. People seem to really get, like they love that idea of buying something for 20 cents, selling it for a dollar. That's simple as a physical product. But we know there's a lot more moving parts, whereas with a content site, once you understand the concept, it's a lot easier to execute. And as you just said, Thomas, thank you for reiterating that. If you need the cash flow, content sites it are, are just a no-brainer compared to e-commerce because e-com, you're always putting money back in inventory. That's our experience in manufacturing and owning wholesale import businesses. Um, so that that's a that's a that's a really interesting um, uh, point there. Moving on to then my next question about because obviously I'm passionate about Liz and I are really passionate about content sites. That's what we live for it's what we teach we set up this whole business where we teach people that and what i'm interested in thomas is your experience again and particularly now with you know i know there's a lot of fear and gloom out there but obviously it's not affecting what you're seeing at the high end so now if you look back over your journey over the last decade or so in this space and particularly because you're at the forefront of MAs at a high level this eight figure well my question to you is and kind of this conceptual idea, right? But what what do you think is the difference between an eight-figure content site, so a site that's sold in the tens of millions, maybe for 20 mil, whatever, in, in the content space versus a seven-figure content site? Because we, you and I know there's lots of seven-figure content sites out there. We're, we're coming across them all the time. And I'm not going to say they're, they're cliche or anything like that. They're awesome. They're all awesome. But to make that, it's exponential, that step, to getting into 10 million plus. What do you think makes the difference there? What things have you observed? So generally one of two things, or I guess three, I'll kind of cheat and I'll combine into. So okay. one, at scale, they might have moved away from selling ads or an affiliate-based model uh, and moved yeah. towards selling their own product. Um, I'm, not, not, I'm not talking about a physical product, I may be talking about like a certification or a course. So instead okay. of selling, um, I don't know, affiliate product for a hundred dollars where you're getting 20% commission, yep. you're selling a course for, well, maybe a hundred dollars, but you're keeping a hundred dollars. So the eight okay. figure businesses that we see, generally speaking, the majority of their income comes from a digital product or digital products they're selling. Wow. Um, Awesome. If it's ad or affiliate based, and we do have seen a few of those eight figure deals, generally yeah. the only real difference between them and a seven figure business or a six figure business or even a five figure business is pure volume and scale of content production producing. T- t- so I remember a couple of years ago when I met a business we represented and sold for eight figures. All of its revenue was from the Amazon affiliate program. Yep. So didn't have its own product, wasn't selling ads, wasn't selling high-end products. I think the average product they were selling on the site was $50 via the Amazon affiliate program. So yep. they were selling a vast number of um, products. The thing that sh- like shocked me when I first met them, I almost didn't believe their, their numbers. They were yeah. producing something like a million words of content a month, which I couldn't wow. even... Personally, and I've been in this industry a long time, I couldn't even comprehend that volume was possible. And this was not automated content. This was real writers, but they had built a very scalable system for content production. Uh, they had an editorial team. 
and they were just producing a huge amount of content. So the only real difference between, say, a million-dollar content site and a $10 million content site is probably just the $10 million site is producing 10 times more content. And it it, it seems like that's kind of a stupid answer. It's like, oh, Thomas, of, of course that's true. But most people don't really believe it's that simple. Most people yeah. think that it has to be more complex. Maybe they have better subject matter knowledge like these guys running the site they didn't know anything about the products they were selling more than you and i would and they weren't writing about it anyway they had expert writers they were hiring but it's the ability to produce high quality content at scale it's not just scale it also has to be high quality Um, and then they also i guess the reason i said three things the third is you have to have a really good marketing engine behind it it's all okay. very well producing content, but people actually have to be reading it. So good at SEO, getting distribution on social media, building an email list, kind of all the basics, but doing it really well, producing content that people want to share, producing content people want to link to. Um, yes, you can do kind of manual link building. You can do outreach, all of that kind of stuff. But at scale, if you're producing a million words of content a month, you can't be growing that business purely from your own outreach. It's just impossible at that scale. You need people to be like organically linking to you. So it, it seems like a really stupid, lazy answer. But if you ask me what's the difference between a five-figure site and a yep. six-figure site, it's yep. usually exactly the same. It's just volume of volume and quality of content. Like the, the two are you can't you can't just produce uh, say one really high quality piece of content and you can't produce a hundred pieces of content, which are unreadable. It's got to be yep. a, 10 really high quality posts is better than a hundred bad quality or like one amazing. That is absolutely brilliant. And I can remember Thomas, when you sold that, I think that one of those first big sales that you did in the eight figures you were really excited and you, we went out for dinner with you. Remember with Liz when you came to Australia and you were telling us about it and then you spoke about it the next day at our boot camp. It was, it was exactly the same business I was just talking about. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and, and I remember you blew away everyone and, and you said exactly what you said then. Guys, it, you would not believe how simple this is. It was just run on an Excel spreadsheet and it is literally, like you said, it's just scaling that, that content. Um, so that then, so this is, Thank you so much for reiterating and sharing that. That's what you, that's your experience. You want to go bigger with a content site. It's as simple as just scaling it up, guys. That's what you've got to work towards. You're just scaling that content. And that, that is what you need to, um, like it is that simple. That's what I love about it. And obviously that takes some time to, to learn how to do that. We teach that here at eBusiness Institute. Of course, I'm going to give a plug for that. Um, but that leads me to the next question then, Thomas, for, for you. In this marketplace, if you are someone in our community, say they've got about a hundred grand to invest, where where do you see the great opportunities now investing a hundred k? And and you know they're not going to do the ecom website type thing. This is you know in 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 um, in um, content sites. I, I'm not asking for an outright recommendation or financial advice or anything like that, but you know, say you've got 100k to 500k to invest into some websites. Any, what, what are your thoughts there? What, what, what do you see as the best opportunities coming up over the next 12 months? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, there's lots of different ways to approach it, but 
if I have to provide a what I would do answer is I'd probably just my opinion on this has changed over the years. I'd probably just buy one business. I wouldn't buy five. I'd buy one. Okay, Um, interesting. Yeah, I would buy something that I'm interested in or at least have an understanding of, particularly in the content space, because otherwise it's really difficult to know whether or not the content is good. Like I, I personally play golf, golf. I know about golf. So if I read some content about golf, which was clearly nonsense, I would know it's nonsense. But if, okay. if it had been written by a professional, I could probably tell that just from the fact I know about that industry. But if you wrote something about, I don't know, horses, I know nothing about horses. So if I looked at that content, I would have no clue if their article reviewing the best saddles was good or not. Yep. So I do think, particularly for your first business between before you build a team, it is important to find something that, you, you at least have an understanding of or some sort of interest because the reality is at that level, you probably have to do a reasonable amount of work yourself. Yeah. Um, I would probably spend 80% of the cash on the actual acquisition itself. So okay. include all the expenses related to the acquisition um, and then 20%. So let's say you buy for a hundred thousand, try and invest $80,000 in the business. And then the 20,000 you have left, use that to invest in improving the site. So the site might have like a a fantastic design. It might convert really well, but particularly if you're buying for $80,000, it might be a site with 20 pages of content and only three of them are like really ranking for anything and they're bringing in all the money. So to my kind of lazy answer to your previous question, the lazy answer to this question would just be produce more content. Go produce, take your $20,000, spend $10,000 producing 50 great pieces of content for $200 each, and then yep. spend the other $10,000 promoting that content. So two, it doesn't necessarily have to be equally distributed, but $200 per article, um, maybe do some social media promotion. Maybe you can invest in some SEO. There are lots of different things you can do to kind of distribute uh, content, but that will then give you a kickstart. The, the great thing about buying a business versus launching one from scratch is yeah. you can pretty much guarantee it's already established and already making money, already has traffic. So you remove any of those variables. Worst, and, and then the worst case scenario, if every single piece of content you produce, and this will not be the case, but if all of the content you produce does absolutely nothing and you see zero increase in the business, you still have a business worth $80,000, probably making 20000 a year. So you make your money back, you invested. And the reality of content is in almost no cases will that be completely worthless. It might just be that the ROI from that content takes a bit longer. So you might see no results for 12 months and be like, oh, this new, like Thomas told me to invest $10,000 in content and it hasn't gone anywhere. But then in 12 months time, you might see it start ranking and it might be, oh, this particular keyword is now position... 13 so it's on page two of google no one is reading that then three weeks later you might jump up to like position five and suddenly that article has a trickle of traffic so one thing with content sites let's say if you are producing content at any sort of scale you do have to be patient as well because a lot lot of the time the people who fail isn't because they produce bad content it's because they gave up they were like well that 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 didn't work i'm gonna i'm gonna like go get a job because online business doesn't work it's not that it doesn't work it's they were not patient enough 
Yeah, that that's brilliant. That's what we see all all the all the time, and that's what we're here to help people with is just stay on the path and stick at it because it does take time to. And things can go exponential once they do start taking off. Like that that business that you sold, that that first really big eight-figure content site, you were saying at the boot camp, I remember you said to our guys, look, these guys posted stuff. It, it was 12 months later where some of the articles started ranking, 12 months plus, and sometimes for keywords I didn't even expect. So it's um, that's a really – that is cool answer, though. So if you've got 100K, like – Thomas said, that's interesting. Three key points is look at maybe just buying one quality business and you definitely should contact Thomas about that. Buy in a space you're interested in and spend 80% on the acquisition and 20% on improving it, including um, content. And then you, and at the end of the day, you still got a valuable asset, even if that content doesn't work. It's, the money's still there. You're still generating, you know, you, you, you return 20% return each month, uh, each year, sorry. So that that is um, absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for that, those golden nuggets, Thomas. So if people want to contact you um, about either buying or selling their online businesses, what's the best way to get in touch with, with um, FE International? Uh, yeah, so firstly, we have a new website since we last spoke. So awesome. I know you were very happy to see that, but you can go was, to the looks very professional. Um, you go to the fintonational.com um, website. It's now easier to navigate around. So if you want to buy a business, different sections for buying. If you want to sell a business, uh, we offer anyone a, f- a free valuation. Um, if, you, if you're active on social media, the team were pretty active on um, LinkedIn or Twitter uh, and also Facebook as well. So whatever your favorite platform is, you can probably find me. I'm pretty active on um, both of those. Uh, you can follow the company. You want to sign up to our newsletter. We have blog content, white papers, depending on the kind of content you like, you'll find something that's relevant. And we'll put all the links for those in the in the show notes with uh, with, with this interview. And um, you got, and just to reiterate, guys, F International specializes in seven and eight-figure deals, particularly with content sites, e-commerce, and SaaS. And they're very well known for it. So definitely reach out to Thomas and his team if you're interested in selling one of those style of businesses or if you're interested in purchasing one of those kind of online businesses. And of course, guys, if you are interested, if you're just starting out your journey, I would highly recommend and you want to learn more how you can do this and the actual outline of the strategy that Liz and I and and everyone in our community follows. Of course, make sure you check out our free masterclass. It's a 90-minute training session where we go through the whole strategy covering with examples exactly of what Thomas and I have talked about today. But Thomas, I do want to say a big thank you for coming along and giving such awesome insights and tips. It is always fantastic to hear from you, particularly because you're at that call phrase and it's so cool to hear. I do want to say a personal thank you to you for um, just sharing openly that you're not seeing any difference out in the marketplace, recession or not. Guys, business sales are always there. They're always around. This market exists. It's not like it's peaked and is about to crash. It's it always is happening. And so, thank you so much for that, Thomas. It's unreal having you along again today. Yeah, well, thanks so much for inviting me back. It's appreciated. You've been listening to a Digital Investors podcast with Matt and Liz Rad from the eBusiness Institute. If you'd like more great content, interviews, and inspiration, make sure you subscribe here in your podcast app or visit digitalinvestors.com for more insights into the future of investing online.